Good morning, Solid Rock. Uh, <clears throat> I want to, uh, to begin this morning, uh, not exactly going to be preaching and teaching today. I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, friends can sit down and they can share a meal together, so I thought, you know what, we can sit down and share a little bit of bread. This is something that's going on uh, in my life and with you guys too, right? Something we can receive together. So I'm going to open up in prayer. I know the sower has good seed, and I've found that when I've prepared my soil to receive the seed, it generally brings a harvest, right? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to you in grace and in mercy, Lord, and you reach out to us, and you are the giver of good seed. And Lord, help our soil to be ready to receive that seed, to produce the harvest that you will, Lord. Your words are sure. Your promises are true, Lord God, and you are unshakable. And we bless your name. And we receive your word, Lord God. And we come to your table and we rejoice in who you are. Help us to take this and grow, Lord. Help me to take this and grow. And we bless you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said. Our pastors have been taking us the last few weeks. Uh, in the subject of worship, the theme of worship. And it's been an excellent, excellent uh, set of messages. Last week, Pastor David spoke about exa uh, exaggerating, magnifying, abundant, exuberantly worshiping God. This week, God directed me to a, a certain scripture, and I was, had been thinking about worship last while. And uh, I don't know how your week was. This week was great. Uh, the sun was out, out in the yard. Uh, I like that. Um, it was just a great week. The Sunday morning, woke up this morning, my kids surprised us. They had gone upstairs, cleaned up the living room, prepared breakfast for us, and surprised mom and dad. Very, very sweet. Now, Sunday mornings aren't typically that way. <laughs> somewhere there could be raised voices, there could be crying, there's somewhere, but uh, it, it was a great start to the great week. Amen. And uh, I know not everybody has a start like that. Not everybody has a week like that. Uh, the week prior, we had uh, gone through a, a few things involving, uh, I think Ariana may be mentioned, some of you know about uh, some credit card fraud and identity theft and, and that sort of thing. I know there's a few people in the church that have gone, are actually going through it now uh, in terms of credit cards and stuff. And for us, it had actually progressed beyond credit cards into someone trying to hack our home network and actually getting in and calling us up and trying to, uh, to actually verbally get our passwords to and kind of escalated. And what I found as we went through this uh, was our sense of security was, was being shaken. Uh, our, the things you hear about all the time, and when it happens to you, it, it, it rattles you a bit, right? Whether that happens with your finances, whether it happens with your health, whether it happens in your relationship. Things happen. Things occur. And you don't really know what it's like till it occurs to you. So you're the one to actually have to walk through it. And we come and worship, and we know God's worthy to be worshipped, even in the moment. But sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. 
passage that, uh, that God directed me to is found in Romans. The thing is, it's sometimes the shaking actually doesn't even come from something negative. It can be from something positive. God's given you an opportunity, or you see something, but how do you cross the bridge to get to where he wants you to go? How do you do it? Passage you direct me to is in Romans. Romans 4, verse 16 to 21, if you want to turn there. I think Cora's going to put it up in a second. I have a written, I believe, from the ASV, so I'm going to read it from that. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And I'm going to pause for a second. It's not for theatrics. Sometimes you walk along in life, you walk along a garden and you, you see the waterfall. Or you have those moments where you just, you got to pause. This, this scripture for me is, I, I pause. I get chills. And I'm not being theatrical, I just, I do. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So this morning, as we... We kind of share a little bit of this together, a little bit of bread. We're going to pull three soft points out of this. We're going to look first at verse 17. We're going to see how this relates to worship. Verse 17, I'm going to reread it as we go to. I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom you believe, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. You know, Abraham latched on to something here in worship. He gives glory to God. He ends up worshiping God. He takes God as he, at what he says. But he latches on to a key, a foundational key that happens right away. And it's easy to overlook. We take it for granted. Uh, Corey, if you have a picture, I was thinking about it this morning. Actually, God gave me the illustration just before I came here. Now, if not, you can see that very clearly. But that's my son, Josiah. And he's sitting in a race car. We were, uh, we were at the Vancouver Auto Show uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, my son likes cars. And he loved the fact that among all these multitudes of cars, he was actually allowed to go in and, and sit in the driver's seat, play at the steering wheel, and, and check out things. Not on all of them. Some of them, Dad, had say, no, no. <laughs> we cannot afford that. <laughs> Don't breathe on it. But, but this one... He was allowed to go in. It was a race car, and you can rent him out, in, I think, in Agassiz or something. But. So he's all smiles as he sits, sits there. And it, this morning, as God was speaking to me, he, he let me know, you know, worship is a vehicle for us, first of all. It takes what's inside of us 
and brings it out and moves it. Through our hands, through our words, through our actions, it's the vehicle. It pulls something out. And as Pastor David had preached last week, there's a direction to it. You have to set, in a car, you set your transmission. Right? Forward, reverse. Our heart has to be directional that way to move the faith. We have to be intentional in the direction. Or it doesn't move. But he kept speaking. We can set the direction. We can be in the vehicle. We can play at the steering wheel. But there's something we need to move. Keys. See, there's a key that hits the ignition. Josiah could sit in the car, and he loved it. He could play. He could maybe figure out the transmission. I'd be panicking if he did, but he could figure that out. But without the key, he can't go nowhere. See, the key for Abraham is faith. Faith is the ignition. But it's not just any kind of faith. I have a ring of keys. When I go to the auto show, I can go to the Dodge Charger, Challenger, sit in that, pull out my keys, try to put in the ignition. It's not going to work. Unless by some miracle. <laughs> but it, it won't work. I need the key made for that car. Right? I don't grow the key. I can't actually produce the key. Otherwise, you'd see it in the parking lot. It has to be given to me. God gives you faith. But once you receive it, you've got to do something with it. You can get the key. If somebody said, here, Sean. I was trying to remember. It was a, the, their new model of Charger, I believe. and uh, It's like the fastest production street car. There's a, it beats the Viper. It was beautiful. If someone shows up to me and gives me the key for this car, I'm going to be excited. But what I probably am not going to do, I'm not going to go and create a little placard above my fireplace, hang it up, shine up, polish, look at my key. Look at this key. Walk around to my friends, this is my key. It's for my car, it's my key. The key's for the car. I've got to use the key to use the car. The faith God gives it to us, it's a gift. And now we've got to do something with it. We've got to move the car. We, with faith, turn the ignition. We set our direction. And we move the car. We move our worship. And it, we go. You know, it's amazing. He... The thing was, his faith was based in who God was. You see, when God gives us promise, I've made you a father of many nations, God didn't put qualifications on it. He didn't say, Abraham, you give me your bits, I'll give you this bits, we'll work it out together. He said, Abraham, 
I've made you a father of many nations. He spoke to Abraham's future in past tense. It's already done. What I did for you is done, and I did it. It was just faith. Abraham put faith in God because of who he was and is and is today. When we worship, we worship out of that same faith. See, we come to God with needs and problems and challenges. But you realize when we come and worship, it's not an exchange. It's a one direction. Now, an exchange happens. We come with our needs, but we don't worship because of them. We worship because of who he is. We come with our problems and our wants, and we praise and we worship God, not because of them. Not because, God, I praise you so that you will fix this. It's I praise you, God, because you are God. And you are sovereign and powerful over all. You are good. You are pure. You are unshakable. You are God. Our problems and, and our ideas and our wants, they come with us. They're a part of who we are, part of what we're walking with and going through. But they bow to him with us. See, when, it, when God spoke this to Abraham, both the qualifications and the impossibilities bowed to God. It didn't matter how old Abraham was. It didn't matter that he had no children. It didn't matter that this was an impossibility, physically speaking. It bowed to God. Because God said it. And so it was. He's able to call things that are not as though they were. And that was the key. God. Now, when we respond this way, God responds because of who he is. He blesses. He rewards. He forgives. That's who he is. But don't ever mistake the fact that thinking we exchange this. It's a one direction. We worship God. And because of who he is, he responds. I've got nothing to honor God. This is not a partnership in that sense. He's God. I serve him. And by his grace, he's made me a son. Because he loves me. And he's able to do what he says he's going to do. It's not an empty belief. Verse 18 and 19. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. When Abraham used this key of faith in the vehicle of worship, and I'm not trying to overuse this metaphor, but this was not an empty just believe. Like a Disney, just believe in the power of belief. Just believe and everything will work out. Just believe. If that belief is not anchored to something, it's going to take you nowhere. It has to be anchored to God, who is. The faith is because of what he said. So it's not that we can fabricate, I believe, because I want it, and God's going to make it happen. If he said that's not the case, that's not the case. If it's against his will, it's not going to happen. 
But I anchor it to what he said, how he's revealed himself, to his promises, to who he is. It happens. It's not about the power of belief. It's about the power of God. It's not about what I can produce. It's about what he's done. Faith faces fact and responds in hope based on truth. I'm going to repeat that. Faith faces facts and responds in hope based on truth. It's not empty. It's not just believe. It's believe because God said so. It's believe because God is who he is. It's the kind of faith that, that brings the, in the Old Testament, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say, even if I die, I'm, I'm going to worship him. Because he is who he is. And there's none other. God directed me to a, a second example. 2 Kings 19, verse 14 to 19 is the response. And, and I'm going to talk briefly about just before this. Because it's going to take too long to read and go through. But it's a fascinating, fascinating passage. And I encourage you to read it in your own time too. In 2 Kings, I believe Israel's already fallen. And the Assyrian army comes to Judah. And King Hezekiah is in charge. And the army, the Assyrian army, kind of lays siege around Jerusalem. And they send a spokesperson, send a cherub to speak. And in the history of trash talking, this guy's a master. I mean, you read what he's got to say. He's incredible. I don't care what century. I don't care what you think of different writers. about. You read this, what this guy says. He's a master. He, he not only finds ways to belittle them and their alliances and their theology, he actually starts using their theology, trying to use their theology against them. He asks questions. He offers promises. Then he slaps them all down again. He picks them up, shakes them, throws them down, does like the Kanye mic drop and walks away. Like, it's, it's insane what this guy does. But he's not just mouth. See, the Assyrian army at that time, they're the, they're the top dogs in the world. They're the ones who have conquered the lands. Part of what he's saying is actually true. They've laid waste all these cities. Their gods couldn't save them. That's the worst. Well, some guy's got mouth, but he's got muscle to back it up. And he knows it. And this guy knows it. He knows what he's carrying. He's going to rub it in your face. Just because he can. He doesn't want to beat you. He wants to break you. Our enemy does the same thing. King Hezekiah, in 2 Kings 19, verse 14, and maybe we'll turn there for a second. First, he, he uh, talks to the prophet, and I pray, and, and uh, the army is partly called away, but Sennacherib brings this message and says, your God's not going to save you. He's already used a theology. He said, God's actually sent me to destroy you. But you know what? He can't save you anyway, even if he wanted to. Verse 14, 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. 
Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wooden stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. God sends a confirmation through the prophet, and then that night sends an angel and wipes out, I think it was 185,000. And the army decides it's maybe better to go somewhere else, and they leave. See, Hezekiah had faith, and he used that faith to face facts. He's got an army sitting outside his gate. They've laid waste his neighbors. They're the top dogs in the world. They've got the power to back up their threats. And they're at my door. A lot of us have things that are at our door. And they're literal threats. Or they're emotional threats. Or they're physical threats. Or there's something at our door and they're there. And just saying, I believe, and closing our eyes and screaming at the wind does nothing to make it go away. They're there. The power of belief doesn't change that. The power of God can. Belief in the Lord God and what he said. So this is true. But you are. And because you are, I have hope. Faith faces facts and responds in hope. Why? Because it's based on truth. Because what God has revealed because of what he's said, because of how he's led, because of what he's done, because of who he is. Truth, it exists. And it's found in him. Truth is not something that we invent. It's not something we even discover. It's something he reveals. And he's revealed himself to us, especially in the, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 20 of Romans 4. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Our faith, the heart and foundation of our worship, is constantly under attack. The desire is to snuff the flame. Christ said that when he comes back, he left a question, will I find faith? And I can't say it's an exact translation, but I was thinking, everybody knows the parable of the five virgins, having their light ready for when the, when the groom came. And some of them didn't. And some of them did. 
will we hold on to our faith? If we try to keep it, it's given to us. If we just try to hold on to it, tuck it away, it's going to suffocate. It's not going to grow. It's not going to produce. Kind of like the talents. But we use it. It grows. We use it. It produces. We bring it to our worship to bring out what God has put inside us, to produce what he's called us to produce. It doesn't matter how big the darkness is. The light burns brighter. I was thinking, and it doesn't really apply, so I, I feel weird bringing it up, but it, I was thinking before about that famous quote about not going gentle to the good night and raging against the dying of the light. And I was thinking, dying of the light. And I wanted to use a family-friendly term to convey my displeasure with it, but uh, I thought, you know what? Worship, and in worship, obey. And go and heal the sick, proclaim liberty, love your enemies, forgive and bless, work diligently, give abundantly, forgive graciously, receive freely, and praise the goodness of your risen Lord who has purchased you with his blood, with his love. Let your light shine in the darkness. He's given you faith. He's given you the key. You can turn the ignition. You can feel the power of the engine revving. You can shift it and go by setting your direction to God for whom your faith is designed for. I can believe in anything. I have a keys for all kinds of things, but it's not going to make that car go. Unless I take that key, I take my faith, I anchor it to God. The engine for whom that key was designed for, I'm not going to go. But if I do, man, the horsepower under that hood. I tell you. Whew. It's going to take you exactly to where he called you to. You can have some fun doing it. There's going to be challenges. There's always challenges. There's always potholes. Always want to throw your alignment off. I'm not a car guy. I know I'm talking like this. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate a fast car. You know, in a moment, we're going to go back into worship. Fundamentally, there is a difference between praise and worship. You know, you can praise and worship, and you can worship with praise. And you can praise without worship, though. And you can worship without praise. Worship is not always this moving. Sometimes it's just be still and bow, listen, open up your ears. Sometimes it's extending your hand. It's recognizing and responding appropriately to who God is and what he's doing. What do I mean by appropriately? Do I mean some kind of law? No. Respond according to his will. Christ said, I do what I see my father doing. 
That's the appropriate reaction. Our appropriate call to worship. Responding in faith. What we don't want to go is down the road where we praise. We worship. But we've left, we've left the, the core components behind. To God, that's, that's not so impressive. In Amos, he, he spoke to the people who were doing this. They had their services. They had their worship. Nice and loud and proud. And God says, noise. It's noise. Yet to the widow, who throws just a couple of coins in a well, Christ singles her out in front of all the disciples in public square. Look what she did. He recognized the Son of God. Recognized an intentional, unintentional. Intentional in what she was doing, but unintentional. She wasn't trying to draw attention to herself. She was just doing what she was supposed to do. Recognizes her worship. A couple of thousand years later, we're still talking about it. Right? If I can call some of the worship team back up, but we're going to go back into worship. You know that, as we said, we it was a great week. The sun's still shining. I don't know what you're going home to. I don't know what you came from. But what I do know is wherever you are right now, whatever you're facing, whatever's at your door, threatening to take you down, God is. He's worthy of worship. His promises are true. Why? He's got the muscle to back it up. He's got the character to stay true. He's got a history of proven promises. And when things don't always seem to, to go up, you know what? I trust him. With my kids, there's sometimes things that, why, why are you doing that, Dad? Because it's got to be done. It's got to be done this way. And they get it later. And sometimes they don't. But they come to a place where they know that Dad loves them. Dad's plans, if they don't always get it, if they even don't like it, that's not trying to do wrong. Right? Now, I'm not a perfect father by any stretch. But I know one who is. And I know one who's faithful. I'm going to close in prayer, but we're going to continue in worship as we draw to the end of our service. Father, you are the sower of good seed. And what you have said is true because of who you are, Lord God. You are the backup to all your promises, your character, your person. And it is you who deposit in us the faith we need to worship you in spirit and in truth, to move ourselves, to set our hearts in alignment to who you are, 
to move in a direction towards you, for that's what you desire, Lord. To draw us to yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit, as you've ordained and said in your word, as you've laid out the vision, you've laid out the map, you call us to follow. In your grace, Lord, in your faithfulness, you come. And we fall, and sometimes we don't even just fall, sometimes we just dive headfirst into where we ought not to go. Roll around until the filth makes us ashamed to get back up again. But still, you stand and you call us to come. And you do not deny your promises, for the calling of God is irrevocable. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And all of his promises in him are yes and amen. And you are worthy of our praise, Lord God. You are worthy of our worship, of our intention. You are worthy if we could exaggerate you, Lord, but we can't because you are beyond what we know and yet you call us to know you. Incomprehensible, but in kindness, you stoop and reveal yourself to us. And we bless you through your son, Jesus Christ, through whom you've made us sons and partakers. We come to your table and we receive the bounty you set for us in faith because of your love. And we continue to worship you as a body. We continue to worship you individually and corporately. In response to you, Lord. And everybody said...